Uh, it's so good to be here with you. I wish we were physically present with one another, but I love this church, love Derwin Angel and uh, Caleb and Noah, and had a, a wonderful time here last summer with you and felt very welcome in your midst. So I'm glad even in this digital form, this virtual form to be back among you. I'm going to read my text or a portion of it, and then I'm going to get into the sermon and make some comments about the text. It's from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, and I want you to especially notice the, in what I read, Jesus refers to children twice, but in very different ways. So the first reading is from Matthew 11, and it begins in verse 16, and goes to verse 19, and then I'll skip down into verse 25 of Matthew 11 and read from there. Matthew 11, verse 16, he says, To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Skip down to verse 25 of the same chapter, Matthew 11, and it's in the same time sequence. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That last portion of scriptures, of course, well known to many of us. Young Jewish couple many years ago in a little village in Eastern Europe, a shtetl, at their first child, a newborn son, they were ecstatic. They were dancing around the house. They were kissing. They were hugging. But their joy turned to rancor within about half an hour. They got into one of the most bitter fights of their entire marriage. And the fight came down to the question of what were they going to name the newborn son. Actually, more specifically, the fight was after whose father were they going to name their new son. They tried to resolve it all the night through, and they could not. It just got worse and worse. And finally, in the morning, they had to call the village rabbi to help them sort this out. The rabbi comes, and he says, um, uh, you know, what is this debate about? And they say, well, we're, we're arguing not about what to call our son, but whose father to name our son after. And he says to uh, the woman, he says, well, what was your father's name? And she says, well, it's Joseph. Says to the man, and what was your father's name? And he says, well, it was Joseph. And the rabbi rubs his beard, and he says, I, I, I do not understand. I'm confused. 
your fathers are both named Joseph, it should be easy, just name the child Joseph. And, and the woman said, no, no, you don't understand, Rabbi, we're arguing not about what to name the child. Of course the child's name's Joseph. We're arguing about whose father we're going to name the child after. You see, she says, my father, as you would know, Rabbi, was a loved, a beloved rabbi, well-known, famous, a great writer, a great man of prayer. And his father was a horse thief. And so the rabbi thinks for a moment. He says, I, I, I think I have the solution. Why don't you name your child Joseph and then see which father he takes after? In some ways, uh, that's the conversation Jesus gets. Not in this text that I just read, but in John's gospel, there's several sections of that where he's talking with the religious leaders and he's saying, you take after your father you think it's the Father God, but it's actually not. But in this story I just read, uh, it's as if Jesus is saying this, whose child are you? What kind of child are you? As a child, which father do you take after? Because in both texts he mentions children, and in the first it's, don't be like that, and the second is be like that. I want to talk about that because I think it has something to say to us in this moment we find ourselves now. Jesus starts in that first portion, again it's Matthew eleven sixteen, and he and he's it's in the context of talking about John the Baptist, who John was, what John did, and he turns and he says, To what should we compare this generation? Now, in some ways, taking a shot at this generation, whatever generation it is, is one of the, it's the widest, softest, softest target out there, the generation. In fact, people have been complaining about the generation, especially the younger generation, for centuries. It's almost a cultural meme to complain about the generation. Here's somebody... He says this, I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. For they, for certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. When I was young, we were taught to be discreet and respectful of elders. But the present youth are exceedingly disrespectful and impatient of restraint. That's Hesiod, a Greek poet from the 8th century B.C. Uh, Aristotle said this, young people have exalted notions because they have not been humbled by life or learned its necessary limitations. Moreover, their hopeful dispositions makes them think themselves equal to great things, and that means having exalted notions. And he goes on and on and on, just trashing the young people of today. Uh, or listen, that, and that's a 5th century BC. Uh, move it up a millennium in some, 1274 AD, and in a sermon preached by Peter the Hermit in his cathedral, he says this, The world is passing through troubling times. The young people of today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They're impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything, and on and on it goes. Is Jesus just uh, complaining about this generation the way we've heard people throughout history, and maybe you've heard... Somebody recently, maybe you've been that person who's talked about in this harumphing tone, oh, this generation, they don't respect, they, 
don't wear the right kind of clothes, etc. Is that what Jesus is doing? To what should we compare this generation? Well, I don't think Jesus is just being a grumpy middle-aged guy here. Because what he says is, to what should we compare this generation? And he says they're like children, which is usually in the mouth of Jesus, as we'll see in a moment, uh, a, a way of complimenting. He's often inviting us to be like children, but here not. And the point of comparison with children isn't about disrespect, etc., that we've heard in these various quotes I've just read. The point of comparison Jesus makes with children is this. They're just never happy. This is like, I mean, I think of trips we took with our children when they were younger, and often this behavior would mostly show up on long trips where it didn't seem to matter what you did. It wasn't the right thing. It wasn't enough. It was too much. And Jesus saying children are simply not happy. You, you, you play for them this song. They want that song. They look at... Uh, this person and they find fault, they look at that person and find fault. This is the point of comparison, but at the heart of what Jesus is saying is not so much that children are whiny, because adults can be whiny too. <laughs> the main thing Jesus is saying is, is, what are children like that you don't want to be like? And he says, because they're caught up in the moment because they're caught up in the, the, their opinions, in their drive toward immediate gratification. Because children are often like that, they often miss what's really going on. Or more to the point, they're actually missing God. But John shows up, a man of God, a man representing God, speaking for God. He doesn't look like you think he should. <laughs> He's too austere. He's too gaunt. He eats funny things. He doesn't eat enough. He wears funny clothes. He smells like the desert. And they say, no, 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 he's a, he's a demon. Jesus shows up, and he, he likes to go to a party. Uh, he doesn't decline pretty much any banquet he's invited to. And we say he's a drunkard and a glutton. And what Jesus finally say, fundamentally saying is that the problem is that when you get into that attitude, that reactivity, that everything you find fault with, what you'll end up doing is actually missing God when he shows up. I think, well, I mean, he's critiquing the Pharisees here, which is really at the heart of their failure. Um, they've gotten so into reacting, so holding high and sacred their own opinion are so filled with this constant kind of back and forth and debate that when when God himself shows up they miss it it's really the heart of what uh, in book of Acts Stephen the young man critiques the Sanhedrin the highest ruling most elite leaders in Israel religious leaders in Israel and his critique of them and it's quite a blistering thing is that you have always, these are the exact quote from the mouth of Stephen, you've always missed the Holy Spirit. I, I, the warning I take from this text is, to what should I compare this generation? Which generation is Jesus talking about? In some ways it sounds like mine. Does this not sound like social media? 
we're, we're kind of always unhappy with something. We're always critiquing something. We're always finding fault with something. We're always just pushing our opinion out there. And Jesus says, well, well, careful, 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 because at some point, you're so full of that that you're actually missing what God is up to. And I find that this text brings me up short because I have a readiness to react to things around me. A huge readiness. Almost a hair trigger. Jesus, Jesus is saying, uh, what I'm warning you about is, I, I think childishness, which he defines in this text as reactivity. Uh, as soon as something happens, you're on it like that. Having an opinion about it. Not pondering it. Not wondering about it. Not stepping back in humility and saying, God, are you up to something here? I, I, I mean, a question for me is what I have missed John the Baptist when he came blazing out of the desert because he just looked too weird. What I have actually missed Jesus in his day because he looked too libertine. Uh, he just liked a meal too much or a glass of wine too much. I think Jesus is inviting us out of a posture of ch childishness, which again he defines as reactivity, and saying, would you stop and ask me, what's really going on here? God, what are you up to? And that's where the, the second passage becomes so, more, so helpful, because again, Jesus contrasts two kinds of children. What child are you? Whose child are you? Uh, as a child, which father are you taking after? And he says, don't become like the, the, the generation that we currently live in, whatever generation that is, is, and become reactive, and then miss what God's actually up to. But become like a child in this. Don't think you're so smart that you can figure this out on your own. Let, let me read this again. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. What things? Well, if you go back just before this, Jesus is talking about how God is at work within communities and actually talks about whole communities that are missing the action of God, the presence of God. That passage I didn't read is a bunch of woe to you, Capernaum, woe to you, Bethsaida, those sorts of things, because you've actually, God showed up and you missed it. And, and, Jesus actually says he's hidden it from the wise and the learned. People who are too full of their own ideas and opinions will not get this. But he's revealed it to little children. The distinction is between what he describes and critiques in the first portion, which is this childishness, and now invites us to childlikeness. What's the essence of childlikeness? The essence of childishness is reactivity the essence of child-likeness is trust. Come to me. Now, Jesus, in this text, and, and many of you know it, says, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he implies that uh, any age, any generation, has lots of stuff that makes us tired and weighs us down. Burdens and weariness. Come to me, you weary and heavy laden. I wonder... You who are listening to this right now, if you could even name the things that are making you heavy, weighing you down, and making you tired, wearying you out. 
I can think of several for myself. Uh, I've got some challenges that I'm facing right now, and I sometimes wake up at 2 in the morning, and I feel the weight of them, and I feel the weariness of them. And everything in me wants to be childish and react. And, and try to figure it out. Be smart enough to figure it out on my own. But he's hidden it from the wise and the learned. He's not revealing it to those of us who think we're so smart that we can do this on our own. He's saying, would, would you not be childish and react? Would you not actually think you're so smart that you can figure this one out on your own? Would you come in childlike trust and learn the thing from me? In Jesus' day, the burdensomeness and wearisomeness was probably two things. Legalism, this kind of heaping on, this weighing down that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing to people. These are all the things you have to do to get it right with God, this weighing down. And, and probably Roman taxation, this sense of uh, every time you turn around, you're having to fork it over again. And how can you get ahead with that? Well, as I'm speaking to you, we're, we're still in a pandemic. We don't quite know where we are in that pandemic. But People have lost their jobs. People's financial futures have been jeopardized. Uh, some people have actually made money, but there's a sort of uns a deep uncertainty about that. Uh, we've seen in this period a huge racial conflict that began in the U.S. and then began to spread around the world. Uh, we don't know what the end point of this pandemic is. Is there going to be a vaccine? Is there going to be a cure? Is there going to be a resurgence? Wearisome things, burdensome things. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest, but also teach you how to, how to navigate this. I actually think uh, on, on almost any given moment that we're presented with something we can either react to in a childish way. And, and I'm talking about driving in traffic I'm talking about um, some piece of news that's profoundly upsetting and disturbing. That we could react to that in this childish way uh, and, and then try to move into this I'm, I'm smart enough to figure this thing out thing and just get more frustrated. Or we could step back, breathe, and come at it in a childlike way and come to Jesus and say, I have no idea this weight on me, I can't lift off. This weariness in me, I can't bring rest and refreshment to it. Would you show me how? And the last, last thing I'd want to say about this is the section that comes right after this is where Jesus calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. Um, we've been, in some ways, in this pandemic also in a bit of a Sabbath season. Uh, some of us have um, seen that or sporadically seeing that and taking advantage of it. Uh, I've talked to others who this has been one of the craziest, busiest times of their life and they would love, they're going to need a, you know, some kind of break or sabbatical on the other side of this. But, but it's interesting that Jesus, as he opens his arms, says, come to me, you who are heavy and weary laden. I want you to be in a childlike mode of receptivity, of responsiveness, of trust. Would you come to me that he then says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, 
And he's saying, actually, I'm the Lord of rest. I'm the Lord of peace. I'm the Lord that when all of the pressures are coming, you do not need to react and try to figure out. You can actually receive, and I'll show you how, and I'll provide for you. As I wrap this up, I want to take you, I'm not going to read it, but briefly to another story that will be well known to most of you. And it's a story of Mary and Martha. And what's interesting about that story in connection with this is that if you try to figure out where that story in Luke 10, the Mary and Martha story, and this story in Matthew 11 that I've read, if you try to figure out where do they you know, line up chronologically, there's some hints that they actually occur around the same moment chronologically. In other words, it's possible, I'm not going to go into the hints, but they're right in the text, uh, would suggest that it's possible that Matthew records Jesus saying, Come, are you tired? Are you, are you cranky? Are you reacting like a, in childishness to things around you? Are you trying to figure stuff out on your own? And he says, you don't need to do that. You, you can come to me and I will take that burden off you and I'll show you how to do this well. It's very possible that Jesus said that right in the context of the home of Mary and Martha. What's that story about? Remember? It's five verses in Luke 10. It's about two sisters, one acting childish and one acting childlike. I, by the way, I, I love Martha, the one who's acting childish. I think, well, I love her because I love to eat, and she's the one actually making lunch. Um, but, but she's acting childish in that thing, and, and at the heart of that childishness is she's missing Jesus right in her living room, right there. Can't, she sees him, but she can't respond to him. She can't open her heart to him. She's so angry. She's so reactive. She's so blaming him, her sister, and, 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 and then there's Mary who's acting childlike, just sitting and receiving and having the load lifted off of her. And I actually think that that story has captured our imagination so deeply because it's actually the story of our moment by moment by moment. It's the story of you driving to work tomorrow. It's the story of you coming home at the end of the day. It's the story of the dilemmas and problems you're going to face in your day, that in the midst of it, there's things going on and you could either be this reactive person in childishness or you could be this childlike person in receptivity. And so I would say this to you as a challenge to you and to me. As we go into this week, we're going to have those moments probably within an hour of hearing this sermon. And as you have those moments, would you treat them when you, when you feel the reaction rising up in you? You feel this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it, I'm going to show you, tell you what I think. Would you actually see that provocation toward a reaction as instead an invitation toward a coming to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, resting in Jesus? Thank you so much. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to pronounce a blessing upon us. Father God, I do thank you that in these two stories, almost back to back, you've given us a picture of 
what it's like to live in your generation or this generation, any time, so much that would provoke this reaction. But in every one of those moments, we find there's an invitation to come to you, to learn from you, to receive from you, to come under your loving rule as Lord of rest, Lord of Sabbath. So Father, I myself say yes to that. I pray that others uh, who are listening, all those who are listening would say yes to that. I pray that they wouldn't try to be too smart to figure this out on their own, but they would, like little children, um, he, hear your call, heed it, and discover, indeed, you are a faithful God who takes that which is weighing us down, that which is wearing us out, and gives refreshment and gives a lightness. I pray this for all of us in Christ's name. Amen.